In today's episode of Cross Defense, we look at the Antichrist from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and 1 John chapter 2 as well. So open your Bibles and let's get into it. You set your clocks by it. You wait all week long for the return of it. It's finally here. What am I talking about? Cross Defense. This week's episode of Cross Defense. And I certainly hope you don't set your clocks by this show, although I do appreciate that it means that much to you. Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This installment is all about the Antichrist. That's what we're talking about today. The controversial always intriguing, always exciting topic of the Antichrist. And it is sure to excite your imagination. You will be equipped in your mind and you will find comfort for your soul in Christ crucified, justification by faith alone, not by any works of your own, but only by Christ. That's important to this conversation. It's all there today. But before we get to business, a little administrative housekeeping, I think, is in order. Where are you listening to this show? I hope you're listening at kfuo.org. You can listen as the show airs, or you can listen on demand. Just go to the Cross Defense page there. You can find it. Certainly, it's clearly there on the menus. You might be listening on your favorite podcast app. Great. I'm glad you found us there. Cross Defense from KFUO Radio. You can find all the other KFUO shows there as well on your favorite podcast app. And if you're listening there, do us a big solid, leave a positive review, let people know what you think of this show so they too might be served by God's Word and grow in their understanding, have their theology challenged, have their minds equipped, their imaginations excited, and their souls comforted. Share the love, my friends. Share the love. Okay. So that's a little bit of the housekeeping. The other bit of housekeeping you need to know if you want to reach out to me with any questions, comments, conversation, statements of whatever, you can do so via my email. And the best way to do that is to go to stmarksferndale.com, the church where I serve, S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com. Click on that contact page and fill out the form. Very simple. Email address, send me your comment, boom, and we're we're away we go. That's it. And uh, as you've heard in previous episodes, we will talk about your comment, your question, your concerns, your whatevers on air, and I will do my best to uh, address address you as I can. So thanks for that. I appreciate that. Okay, with those two things out of the way, let's get to the topic at hand. And as we do, you might already be uncomfortable with the idea that the Antichrist is the Pope. There it is. Spoiler alert. The Antichrist has been revealed. We do know who fulfills the criteria listed in Scripture. Now, the primary text we're going to be looking at today is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you want to get out your good old Bible, pull it out, got mine in front of me, we're going to take a look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 to understand how the Pope is the Antichrist. But I do want to just address this before we get too far down this road. We live in a time where feelings seem to drive much of our views of truth. So perhaps you have 
family members, friends who are Roman Catholic, and you're thinking, I just I can't get on board the Pope as the Antichrist train because that means I'll have to acknowledge something about my my neighbor, my friend, my family member that I don't want to acknowledge. Well, I want to kind of ha- ask you to pump the brakes. By saying the Pope is the Antichrist, we are not saying that Roman Catholics are Satan worshipers. Okay, What we are saying, what Scripture is saying, what God wants us to know is to flee deception, is to flee false teachers. And we're going to get that in the context of 2 Thessalonians, but also all throughout Scripture, we are to flee false teachers. And so if you are worried about the, the consequences, the ramifications of calling the Antichrist, the Pope the Antichrist, I want you to know this does not have um, any other ramifications for your friends and family members than the most pressing concern that should already be on your mind about them, whether whoever we're talking about, whether they're Roman Catholic or not. Our most pressing concern about any neighbor next to us is their eternal salvation. It's their life in Christ. And so we're acknowledging that the Roman Catholic Church and the machine of the papacy is deceiving people and drawing drawing them away from Christ crucified for the forgiveness of their sins, the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And if that's the case, don't reject the idea that the Antichrist is the Pope. Actually get to work trying to help your friends and family members see the delusion in front of them. Okay, that's what I want to open with. It's actually what Francis Pieper in Christian Dogmatics closes with, but I want to open with that so you'll listen. So you won't just block out what I'm saying and tune this out, but you'll listen with an open heart. We, we can't let our presuppositions, our biases, our own baggage shape how we read Scripture. You can't bring that into the text. The text is going to say what the text says. Let God speak for himself. We want it to shape us. We want to be doing exegesis, not eisegesis. Don't be reading into the text. We want to read from out of the text. What is the text telling us? Okay, so here's this great quote from Pieper. Um, And if if, if that's you talking about, worried about um, your friends and family members being Roman Catholic, just that doesn't matter. That's not the point. You don't make your your decisions on theology based on family members. If, if, a, if a family member is a sinner, if you know a particular sinner, does that make the sin that they're committing any less of a sin? Well, you know, I'm really good friends with an axe murderer, so why should axe murdering be a sin? Yeah, yeah see, you see the ridiculousness of it? Same thing goes with all the other popular sins today. Um, the other popular sins, like axe murdering is a popular sin. Um, but the sins that we see, the popular sins, right? The abortion stuff, the LGBTQ stuff, whatever. Um, just because you may have a personal relationship with someone who's committing one of these popular sins today doesn't make it any less a sin. It may make your relationship with them different. It may put some onus on you that you're not wanting. But the reality is still there that if God's word calls it a sin, it's a sin. So what I'm saying is, we don't have to approach things from our feelings. We're approaching things from the objective truth derived from God's Word. It is understandable, it is clear, and it is simple, and there is an end to the conversation. It's not all subjective. I know we live in a postmodern world, but that's the reality. Here's the quote from Paper. He says, Does the doctrine of the Pope, 
that the Pope is the Antichrist, belong to the fundamental articles of the Christian faith. He says, it certainly does not. For a person is a Christian solely through his knowledge of Christ and not his knowledge of the Antichrist. Full stop, right? A Christian is a Christian because of his knowledge of Christ, not because of his knowledge of the Antichrist. That's important to hang on to. Before and after the unveiling of the Antichrist, there have been many sincere Christians who have not recognized the Pope as the Antichrist. You can be a sincere Christian and not recognize the Pope as the Antichrist. What are you still? A sincere Christian. Okay? But every teacher in the Christian church who is familiar with the historical phenomenon called the papacy and still does not recognize in this papacy the Antichrist prophesied in 2 Thessalonians 2 is weak in Christian theology. <laughs> I know. Now, now we got another thing we got to sort out that you don't get offended by, and that is calling someone weak in Christian theology. Again, objective truth. We're not talking feelings here. We're not talking emotions. It's not an insult to call someone weak. If I was in the gym and I was next to Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, you'd all look at me and say, Pastor Bramwell's weak, right? Because objectively, I can't lift as much as he can. I can't do all that physical stuff that he can do. I'm weaker in that regard. Not an insult. It's a reality. So if someone is coming to uh, the the conclusion, looking at the Antichrist and say, a Christian and says, ah, no, that's not the Pope. We would say, you're weaker in your theology. You're not seeing the world. You're not seeing history from the biblical perspective. And I have a little bit of sympathy here. I mean, I have a great bit of sympathy here because we do live in a postmodern world and, and this, the, 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 the flood has, the, uh, the dam has opened up and flooded our world with many different ideas of what the Antichrist might be, who it might be. All kinds of false teachings, false understandings derived from sincere Christians with their own views, but those views can be stronger and weaker than each other. And what I would propose to you is what uh, Francis Pieper says, that someone who looks at the papacy and rejects that it's the Antichrist has a weaker theology, a weaker understanding of Scripture. Not an insult, just a reality. Okay, so... Let's get into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 as we round out this first segment of today's show, and then we will start unpacking this and really showing how there are certain criteria for the Antichrist and how the papacy, the Pope, fills them, okay? So open your Bibles with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him— we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Has come. Okay, so right away, look at the context here. What's happening in Thessalonica? What is Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, what are they addressing? False teaching. There has somehow come to the the Christians in Thessalonica, this idea that the day of the Lord could have already come. Perhaps it came from a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, a false epistle. There are many false works out there, ancient works that bear the names 
of the apostles that bear the names of Christian teachers, and they are not those things. John tells us about this too. And this is why we're supposed to test the spirits and we're supposed to uh, beware of false prophets, those who go out from us but are not among us. They, they used to be among us, but they're not anymore. They're teaching in the name of Christ and in, under the authority of the apostles, but they're not, they're not among us. That's what we're dealing with already in the opening of this section on the Antichrist. And that's important to note because in verse uh, 7, Paul's going to say, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. How do we know that? Well, you can go and look in Galatians, you can look at 1 John, you can look at uh, uh, 3 John. You, you can also look right here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and then 3, right? There's already, they're already dealing with this deception in the name of Christ, in the name of Christ's apostles, okay? So, um, and it's teaching that the Lord has already come, which is exactly what the Lord says not to you know, be caught up. And when someone says, oh, there's the Christ over there, he says, no, nah, don't, don't, be, don't be led astray. Okay, uh, verse 3, 2, 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the rebellion comes first. The rebellion. This is the word for apostasy. This is falling away. Now, this word is used in two places in the New Testament. One is right here, and the other is in Acts 21.21. When we start looking at the Old Testament Hebrew equivalent, we see and understand that this word is an, an unfaithfulness to God, an unbelief, a rejection of the truth. That's the kind of rebellion we're talking about. If you're, you're reading your ESV version, you've got the rebellion language in front of you. It is an apostasy. It is a falling away from truth, a denial of the truth, which goes really well with what we understand and it ties in, obviously, it's on the same subject, in verse 10, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. So falling away from the truth is the rebellion we're talking about right here. So uh, starting again at verse 3, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness... This is uh, the man of sin in some translations, the man of iniquity, the outlaw guy, is revealed, the son of destruction, revealed, that's the apocalypse language, you know, John's revelation, the, the, the book of Revelation, the apocalypse of John. So a revealing of the son of destruction, who opposes, verse 4, and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be, showing himself, displaying himself to be, that's what the Greek is implying there, God, to be God. I like going with, instead of proclaiming, that translation of the word there, uh, proclaiming, I like to go more with a, a demonstration, a showing publicly. Th these are the other ways you can translate it, and, and it fits in really well with Apocalypse language, the revealing language. You're, you're demonstrating, you're revealing something, you're showing something off. Okay, so do, not, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Verse 6, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be apocalypsed, revealed in his time. Notice what is restraining him. What is restraining evil? What is restraining the forces of darkness? You know the answer to this. 
the word of God. That's the what that is restraining the Antichrist. The, the word of God, the truth of, of Scripture, and our love for it, our belief in it, our faith in it. The Christian's belief in the word of God. This is the what, maybe you call it a bifold, what that is restraining the Antichrist. The word and faith in that word. Now it's what here at first, and then it says, what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery, the, the mysterion, the secret of lawlessness is already at work. See, you know, see verse 2, like we talked about. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. So now the what is a he. He who now restrains it. Who is the he we're talking about? Christ. Christ. The, the same word that is the what incarnate, crucified, risen and ascended, this guy, he is uh, who, will, who will be the one restraining it until he's out of the way. And then, verse 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance, the epiphany of his coming, parousia, the epiphany of his coming, the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Notice, it's not Satan. The Antichrist is not Satan, but by the activity of Satan. The Antichrist is Satan's guy on the field. He's, he's the guy that Satan's backing. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may, turn my page, believe what is false, in order that they all may be con condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay, there's our text that's going to drive our understanding of who the Antichrist is and that he's already been unveiled as the Pope. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Cross Defense. Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of living boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Welcome back to Cross Defense. I'm your host, the Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church. Thanks for uh, tuning in and being with us as we talk about the Antichrist. Going to 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, we get more Antichrist language. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, these Antichrists, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is 
the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son, no one who denies the, the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So we have in 1 John the language of Antichrist and all the Antichrists, plural. I want to bring this up as we move into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and we understand it some more and unpack it because by saying the Pope is the Antichrist, we're not saying that's the only place where there's false teaching. There are others teaching falsely as well. Anyone who comes claiming to be preaching the gospel, claiming to be preaching Christ, and then leads people astray, leads people into apostasy, into rebellion with God, that's the falling away. They too are antichrists. They are operating with that same um, false teaching, bad spirit that is doing destruction to God's people, and, and they are antichrists. So I just want to make, make clear right away as we are coming back into this that there is the antichrist, and John said when he was writing his first letter that he's coming. We now see him in, in his full unveiled um, clarity, and unfortunately, we, we see his works, we see the, the wickedness and the evil that's being done, uh, but fortunately, we see it, and so we know it, and we don't have to be continuing to wonder, well, who is the Antichrist, and when is he going to come, and all this kind of stuff. There, the Pope, and let me make my case, and let's uh, go to Scripture to do that. It's not my case. It's the Church's case. The Church has held this view since forever. So, <laughs> uh, in fact, you know what I want to look at here? I, I love being a Missouri Synod Lutheran. You know, I love it because we're not afraid to stand on the confession of faith, to, to just claim what we believe. There are so many churches that you go to their websites Go to a church denomination's website, and so much, so many times these days, they're vague, they're slippery. They're it's like you know the whole jello on the wall. They they don't want to be nailed down. That's because they they bought into the whole politically correct thing, the non-offensive thing, and church growth. That you know we don't want to offend anybody because we want people to come. Well, those things are are recipes for disaster. They're not going to work for church growth, and they're not going to work for God. God didn't say to do all that kind of stuff. He said, here's what I say, stand on it. <laughs> okay, here. This is what the Missouri Synod says on their website. When you're looking at what we teach about the Antichrist, it's great. As to the Antichrist, we teach that the prophecies of the Holy Scriptures concerning the Antichrist, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3-12, 1 John 2, 18, have been fulfilled in the Pope of Rome and his dominion. All the features of the Antichrist are drawn in these prophecies, including the most abominable and horrible ones. For example, that the Antichrist, as God sitteth in the temple of God, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, that he anathematizes the very heart of the gospel of Christ, that is, the doctrine of the forgiveness of sins by grace alone, for Christ's sake alone, through faith alone, without any merit or worthiness in man, Romans 3, 20 to 28, Galatians 2.16, that he recognizes only those as members of the Christian church who bow to his authority, and that, like a deluge, he had inundated the whole church with his anti-Christian doctrines till God revealed him through the Reformation. These very features are the outstanding characteristics of the papacy. Hence, we subscribe to the statement of our confessions that the Pope is the very Antichrist. 
small cold articles. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I just love being able to just confess the truth. You know, here's what I believe. You don't like it, I'm sorry. But I'm not sorry for liking it. I'm sorry you don't like it. This is what I believe. This is my faith. This, my friends, is how we move the ball forward. This is how we can actually have conversations that mean something. Looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to look at the five attributes of the Antichrist. And then we will look at the summary statements of how the Pope fills those attributes. So, starting at verse 3, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first, the rebellion comes first, and the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, is apocalypsed, revealed, the son of destruction. So apostasy is the number one attribute, the first attribute of the Antichrist. You're looking for the Antichrist? Well, is the person, is, is he leading people astray, falling away? Is there a rebellion, an apostasy happening? Okay, two, as we continue on. Let no one deceive you. Okay, to, uh, verse four. Who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming, displaying, showing publicly himself to be God. So the Antichrist sits in the temple of God. This begs the question, what's the temple of God? Where's the temple? Where's he sitting? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you, plural, are God's temple? Y'all are God's temple. And that God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So where's the Antichrist sitting? If you're looking at for the temple in Jerusalem, you know, the one that was destroyed, that Jesus prophesied would be destroyed, the one that Paul knew Jesus prophesied would be destroyed, you're looking in the wrong place. That's not where the Antichrist will sit to rule in, you know, in God's church, to rule over, to exalt himself and oppose God, to exalt himself as God and oppose God. Where is he going to sit? In your heart. He's going to sit in the church, the temple, the church of God, the people of God, where the Spirit dwells. This is how he's going to do it. So he's seated in the church. This is important. This tells us a couple things. One, the Antichrist is not coming from the secular realm. He's not a civil authority. He's not coming in, uh, he's not you know, the President of the United States or something like that. This is coming internally, seated in the temple of God. It's a church, churchman, okay? Three, he's acting as if he's God. He's exalting himself, and he's acting as if he's God. He is setting, proclaiming, displaying, putting on a show as if he is God. Four, He's backed by Satan. Take a look at this. Um, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. We talked about before. He's already, uh, the, the, the letters coming, seeming to come from the apostles with the authority of Christ. So it's already at work. Only he who restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, apocalypsed, is verse 8, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing 
by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. He's backed by Satan. He's not Satan. The Antichrist is backed by Satan. He has the, the, uh, the powers of the liar, the deceiver, with all his false signs and wonders and all these things that he's doing. So that's the fourth one. Fifth one. We're going to jump back up here to verse um, 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So when the Lord returns, this is important to note because the fifth attribute here is that he remains until the second coming of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, the judgment day, right? And that's exactly what Paul's talking about when he says, you're not going to see the coming of the Lord until the, the rebellion begins, right? until the rebellion's going on. And he's saying that at the very beginning, that some people in Thessalonica thought the day of the Lord had already come. Well, no, you, do, you know it hasn't come because the Antichrist, the lawlessness that's already at work, hasn't been crushed, hasn't been killed, hasn't been destroyed, then you would know the Lord had come because the Antichrist still wouldn't be doing his thing. Notice this too. So that's the fifth one, remains until Christ's second coming. But notice this too, that we have here a very key part of the prophecy of the Antichrist. It's not one man. It's it's more. It's a, it's a it's a phenomenon. It's it's a maybe you want to call it an office that will last from the time of Paul writing this. The lawless has, lawlessness has already begun, but is being restrained. So there's all the, the antichrist has already begun. The mystery of lawlessness has already begun, but is being restrained by the word of God, and will finally be fully destroyed and done away with by the second coming of Christ, by his parousia, the epiphany of his coming. One man cannot live from the time of Paul writing that the lawlessness of the works of the, of the uh, Antichrist have already begun, but have not been revealed fully until the second coming. That helps us understand we're not looking for one man. We're looking for this phenomenon that will allow a man to lead people astray from the time of the apostles until the time of the Lord's return. And we're going, we're saying here, as we're looking at this, that's what's going on with the papacy. There's been a claim to be, since the office of Peter, right, the apostle, they claim to be the first pope, and the popes are still with us still leading people astray. Now, so let's get into that part of this. This idea, right, we have, we, I guess by way of review, we have the apostasy, seated in the church of God, the temple of God, acts as if God, backed by Satan, and remains until Christ's second coming. These five attributes help us understand who the Antichrist is. Now, here are five summary statements that show, just as an overview, that the Pope fulfills these criteria. One, apostasy falling away. The official doctrine of the papacy, what they teach, 
is a rejection of justification by faith. It's a rejection of Christ alone. The papacy proclaims, the Roman Catholic Church teaches works, not Christ's works alone. This this right here is probably why if someone wants to reject the papacy being the Antichrist, the Pope being the Antichrist, is probably right here because they do not understand just how paramount the doctrine of justification is. That we are saved by faith alone, nothing else. So that which is minimizing Christ, putting layers of works that you must do over Christ, that is a falling away. It is leading many people, deluding them. It's deceiving them. It's, It's a delusion. Two, seated in the church, the temple of God. Okay, the, pope is, the, the Pope is found inside the church, not outside, obviously. And this should be some comfort to those who are worried about their Roman Catholic brothers and sisters. Christians can be found believing in Christ where the Antichrist is using God's word to try to deceive people because God's awesome. <laughs> so he's inside the church leading people astray. He acts as if God, okay? So the Pope claims authority over all other authorities. The Pope claims to have more authority than the so-called gods and objects of worship. And that's not just pagan idols and pagan gods. The, the civil realm, right? Romans 13 stuff, the civil government. This has been instituted by God. It is to be respected and revered and honored in a worship-like way. Scripture's language for what we are to do toward the, the civil government, it is, it is worship-like language. So these things that are, you, that are called gods or, or are defined by godly terms is a better way to understand that. The Pope claims authority over them. He asserts his infallibility. What the Pope says is from God, is, is, is infallible. These are statements we can look into their actual locations in Catholic teaching if you would like, if that would make you comfortable. But for the sake of time, we have one hour a week. We're going to leave it there. Uh, He uses Satan's lying powers, signs, and wonders to prop up, to bolster his rule. This is four, right? He's backed by Satan. Think about how the Roman Catholic Church is always pointing to to, uh, miracles and things like this. you got the... The, you know, the, the crying Madonna or whatever. Most, most obviously, to become a saint, to be designated saint, you have to, not, not saint as we understand it as Christians, you know, anyone who's set apart by God, any Christian is a saint. But the, their definition of saint, someone who's, who's done all these different things, this criteria, and among them is performed X number of miracles. So he's, we're using the lying power of the devil with false signs and wonders and and even with miracles to get this done. So we have that idea. Clearly throughout history, we see this. And five, remains until Christ's coming. While we still have the Pope, we still have his anti-Christ teachings. 
the Pope still claims authority over all human beings. So the Pope has continued and will continue until the Lord's second coming. We'll come back right after this break and talk some more. The life of the Christian church is a life in exile. We are grieved by various trials. False teachers and their deceptive teachings wage war against the truth. How can we believe and live as faithful and joyful Christians while we sojourn here? This is Pastor Timothy Apple, host of Sharper Iron, for starting a new series, The Imperishable Inheritance. We will be going through 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and Jude. Join us every weekday morning at 8 on KFUO to rejoice in the imperishable inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. You're tuned in to Cross Defense, and we're talking about the Antichrist. Always intriguing, always exciting, always controversial, but really pretty straightforward stuff. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 gives us a five-fold description of the Antichrist that he brings upon the apostasy, the, the rebellion, the falling away. He's seated in the temple of God, which is the church of God from Paul. We got First uh, Corinthians three sixteen, Second Corinthians six sixteen. Uh, Peter also talks about how you know, we're the the living stones building up the body of Christ, the temple of Christ, um, the household of the Lord. This kind of language. So don't be looking to Jerusalem and the temple to understand the coming of the Antichrist. Look inside the church, and also this tells us don't be looking into the uh, you know the powers of the world, the nations, the civil realm but look to governments and stuff, but, but look inside the church, inside the church, not outside the church. So uh, seats, seated inside the temple of God, the church, he exalts himself and opposes God and all so-called gods and all things, objects of worship. So he rules over all other authorities. And that's important to, th- to remember that the, um, the so-called gods and objects of worship, your parents are given language of, of worship, in Scripture, right? They're to be honored and obeyed, listened to. This is worship language. And and even the civil governments, Romans 13 kind of thing, we are to revere our leaders, and we are, you know, we are to honor the, the civil authority, the government, that God instituted it for our good. So there's language about government that's also worship-like language, God-like language, that it deserves our reverence and honor, respect, this kind of stuff. So um, the Pope, the Antichrist, places himself above those authorities, those so-called godly things and uh, objects of worship, and then, and as well as pagan idols and false gods and all the other gods as well, um, that sort of thing. So then four, he's backed by the activity of Satan. This is Satan's guy in the world. It's, it's his activity, his lying ways, his false signs, his miracles and wonders and wickedness and deception that is continuing to give this guy his, his abilities, his, his powers. And then five, the, the Antichrist will remain until the coming of Christ. And this fifth, fifth one really kind of gets us into the objections to understanding the Pope as the Antichrist. And so let's get, we've already kind of dealt with it just by, by, natural uh, conversation as we were working our way through it, the text. But the first op- objection or opposition to the I- idea that the Pope is the Antichrist is that 
in, when you read Second Thessalonians, you get the language, the idea that it's one man, in the sense that you have you know this man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, the one who will come. Uh, don't let anyone deceive you. This thing, uh, he will be revealed. This kind of language, and and fair enough, very fair. But what else does the text say too? That the lawlessness is already at work. The mystery of the lawlessness is already at work in the day of the apostles. And the fifth attribute there will remain until Christ's coming, the appearance of, the, of Christ. This is right along with what John is saying. We're already in the last hour. Well, this last hour is, has been 2,000 plus years. Right? We're in the end times. We're in the last hour. And this man who is to come as the Antichrist, he, is, he has been unveiled in the Pope. So while, yes, we have the man language, we also have to deal with the concept that he starts during the apostolic age and continues until the return of Christ, which has already been 2,000 plus years. No man lives that long. So we can clearly see that it's not just one being, but it is this phenomenon that uses a man to carry on the activity of the rebellion, the falling away, the apostasy. Okay, so that's the first objection, and that's pretty easy to, to uh, deal with, and it's fair. It's a very fair objection, but that it's, it's not the full picture of the text. We also have the, uh, the time span from the apostolic age already at work, the lawlessness already at work in verse 7 to the coming of Christ um, that will be destroying him in verse 8. So for the second objection, let me just read to you from Peeper in Christian Dogmatics because he gets to the objection and answers it very well. Against the declaration of our confession that the Antichrist prophesied in 2 Thessalonians 2 stands fully grown before us in the papacy, the further objection is raised that this teaching does not rest on Scripture but on history, and that one, accordingly, cannot be divinely assured of having the right answer. So by looking at history, we're not going to have the, the right answer or be assured of having the right answer. But Pieper continues, however, this objection is an assertion which the objectors themselves are not able or willing to uphold. Whether in Jesus of Nazareth the promised Christ had appeared was also a historical question for the Jews of Jesus' day. So the Jews of Jesus' day had the Old Testament prophecies. They didn't have the New Testament, right? They didn't have that to go by. They were looking at the Old Testament prophecies and the events of Jesus and what he was doing. And they came to the conclusion that this guy fulfilled those prophecies. And, and now Peter says the same thing happens for us with the Antichrist. As the Jews, however, could on the basis of the prophecies and from the words and works of Christ know with the assurance of faith that in Jesus of Nazareth the Christ had appeared, so by comparing the predictions of Scripture, the New Testament now, with the words, and also the old, and with the words and works of the papacy, we can become divinely sure that in the papacy, the Antichrist is standing before us, recognizable by all. So we just do exactly as we see has been done by faithful people throughout the scriptures. We look at the prophecies, we look at human history. We look at the prophecies, we look at the events happening, and we can say, ah, those correlate. 
Uh, so that pretty well settles that as well. What Pieper says next is fascinating. He points out the obvious. One can't blame the, the papists for denying from their position, from their standpoint, that the Pope is the Antichrist. Of course they're going to say that. Like, no, not our guy. Antichrist? What are you talking about? Get out of here. But, he says, the nearly unanimous denial also on the part of modern Protestant theologians. I'm going to pause right there. Modern Protestant theologians. It used to be the Protestants recognized, all of us recognized, that the Pope was the Antichrist. But now in our, in our, in our post-modernity, certainly not. In modern times, but in postmodern times, we can't say that anymore. So the nearly unanimous denial also on the part of modern Protestant theologians, including Lutherans, yeah, sadly, that the Pope is the Antichrist, stems from their opposition to the sola gratia and their liberal attitude towards Scripture. So by grace alone. It's a rejection of verbal inspiration. Because of this false position. They do not see, one, what an outrage the renunciation and anathematizing of the doctrine of justification is. I already mentioned that in the beginning of the show, and throughout the show I've kind of talked about that a little bit. All of this is hanging on the rejection of justification of faith. The doctrine of justification is everything. Because what is that doctrine? That we have been saved by the grace of God through Christ alone we believe in, in his works, Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins by faith alone, by, apart from anything I can do. You and I cannot earn our way to heaven. We cannot keep the law. We cannot do anything in addition to Christ or in place of Christ. He's it. So this doctrine of justification, it is the, the linchpin. It is the, the center of everything, and it is heinous, he says, too, heinous offense that the Pope is committing by suppressing the authority of the Word of God and thus of Christ, and supplanting it with his own authority, and that under the cloak of Christ's name, and with a great show of sanctity. All right? That's profound, because that is the world we live in. And every little antichrist as well, all the other antichrists, they're all doing the same thing. Whether you're talking about Rome or in the evangelical world, all the different views that are teaching a false gospel, they're coming in the name of Christ, and then they're teaching something other than the doctrine of justification by faith alone, that Christ crucified is the answer. That's where it's all at. If that's not the gospel that you're hearing, you're not hearing the gospel. And so the Antichrist or Antichrists are leading you astray. A third opposition or objection that Pieper points out is that the, the papacy still confesses fundamental articles of the Christian faith. Of course he does. He has to, to be keeping one of the attributes that he's seated in the church of God, in the temple of God. If he's not holding the fundamental Christian teaching, he's not within the church. He's in the church. So there's going to be a lot of nodding his head, yes, teaching, teaching, teaching the truth, but then using that to twist and lead away. So that's, that's a non-starter, right? Without the article of justification, all other doctrines are empty husks, Pieper says. 
that the papacy still confesses some fundamental articles is part of the external adornment by which it seeks to cover up its apostasy from the Christian doctrine. So, of course, coming in the name of Christ involves teaching some fundamental articles. It's just not teaching the fundamental article, the doctrine of justification. The fourth objection some say that there have been several personally, personally honorable, even pious, popes. This objection reveals a lack of Christian judgment. There can be no thought of piety in the case of any pope, since even pious popes head and direct the machinery that does away, does away with and curses the Christian doctrine of justification, that is, the entire Christian faith. Are you hearing a theme here? The doctrine of justification is it. You can't be pious and reject Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. And you can look sanctimonious. You can look holy. Now let me tell you about Jesus. The occasional appearance of an outwardly respectable pope is a part of the external trappings which hide the inward spiritual iniquity of the Antichrist. All the marks enumerated in 2 Thessalonians 2 fit all popes. To the point is the remark of John Adam Osiander. It should be noted that the essential thing in the case of the Antichrist is not his personal probity or depravity, but the nature of his office. Now, no pontiff, no matter when he reigns or how decent he may be personally, fails to declare himself the ecumenical head of the church or to exercise authority in secular and spiritual affairs or to approve the condemnatory canons of the Council of Trent, though he may, for political reasons, abstain for the time being from slaughter and tyranny. This fact is expressed still more clearly by Luther, who shows that here we are concerned not with the viciousness of the pope, but of the papacy, the iniquity, not of the person, but of the office. There is a vast difference, he says, between the sovereignty which the Pope has and all the other sovereignties in the whole world. To put up with these, be they good or bad, may do no harm. But the papacy is a sovereignty that exterminates faith and the gospel. Therefore, what we condemn is not the wickedness of the sovereign, but the wickedness of of the sovereignty, for it is so constituted that it cannot be administered by a pious, upright sovereign, but only by one who is an enemy of Christ. These are powerful statements. The Antichrist is not a joking matter. It's not a light topic. He is leading people astray because he is not teaching Christ crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. That you have been justified by the works of Christ alone. You believe in them. Believe in Christ. In the works he's done. And the works he continues to do through us to this day. Any good that you do, that I do, it is Christ doing it in us. I want to point that out as we go back to Scripture to wrap up here today. That we are looking at the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wickedness, deception for those who are perishing. Why? Because 
they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. We are dealing with salvation. How are you justified before God as a sinner? Only through the works of Christ crucified. He saved you. That is the truth. You reject that truth. You put anything in place of or before that truth, anything that's going to block that out, you're blocking away salvation. You're perishing. This idea that the Pope is the Antichrist is found in Scripture. Here we have the criteria. And by looking at the events of human history and saying, there he is. It's not a mystery. And with that, we got to bring it to a close. The hour goes by so fast. We only have one a week. So thank you for tuning in, for being part of this conversation about the Antichrist today. If you'd like to talk further on this topic or bring up some other aspects of this conversation that we didn't fully get to today, you can do that by going to stmarksferndale.com, S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com. Go to the contact form and send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. You have been listening to Cross Defense from KFUO.org. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Until the next episode, Christ be with you, my friends. He is our defense. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.